Welcome back to Making It to the Other Side, a podcast by Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand with me, your host, Mike O'Leary. In this podcast, we're talking to chartered accountants who are making a difference every day in helping businesses navigate the financial implications of crises and plan for the future. Nikki Nicol, Chief Transformation Officer at New Zealand Rugby, joins us today. Nikki just recently moved into her new role as Chief Transformation Officer. She was CFO and COO before that, and given the events of the last few months, this is a timely appointment. When COVID-19 hit, New Zealand rugby was halfway through the season, which meant that the impact was sudden and immediately felt by the sport, their staff and the community at large. In turn, New Zealand rugby had to think on their feet and pivot their operations quickly. We talked to Nikki about how the organisation responded to the crisis, some of the really tough decisions she had to make, and also, importantly, how she is now leading the way to recovery and what the next chapter will look like. Let's go now to my conversation with Nikki. Tanakwe Nikki, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Kia ora, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Nikki, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role as Chief Operating Officer at New Zealand Rugby? Yes, I'm Chief Operating Officer at New Zealand Rugby, although moving into a new role uh, post-COVID and post some of the changes in our organisation, so maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of that later. Um, but as Chief Operating Officer, I suppose I'm a woman who had many hats. Um, and a big part of my role was um, as a chartered accountant, um, the finance function, finance and strategy was a core part of the role, legal, um, communications, uh, events, as well as our people and culture as well, set as part of my portfolio. Thanks. And um, can you tell us what situation was New Zealand rugby in before COVID restrictions started to uh, apply? Yeah, well, New Zealand rugby is in a pretty unique situation. We're obviously the national sport and we've got 5 million fans, which is fantastic. Um, but as an organisation, 150,000 plus participants, revenues of close to $200 million, um, so a pretty strong base. Uh, but we also recognise there were some things that we needed to address as we think about the sustainability of the game, particularly financial sustainability. You know, While we earned a lot of money, we also spent a lot of money. So for us, as we looked forward post-2020 anyway, we were starting to think about some changes to make rugby more sustainable. How much was the organisation aware of in relation to COVID uh, prior to the Super Rugby season kicking off? Yeah, I mean, certainly when it kicked off, we had... You know, very limited knowledge. There were certainly a few isolated incidents up in China and you know, a bit of noise coming out of, I suppose, the wider Asia uh, region. But, you know, we kicked off with no expectation of what was to come, you know, only a few short weeks later. So, you know, it came as quite a shock middle of March when we suddenly had to realise that this is not how we think the season's going to end. So, yeah, it being quite a shock uh, coming into the season. So I picked up on that word sudden. So you're suddenly in a crisis management mode, I guess. So um, what were some of the immediate decisions that you had to take? Yeah, we we distilled it down to three key things. I mean, the first was health and safety of our people. Um, So at that time, we had um, one of our teams, uh, the Chiefs were still in uh, South America and Argentina playing Nagawaris. Um, that game actually got cancelled and we had to get the team home. So first and foremost, it's our people, get everyone back to New Zealand safe. Um, our corporate staff, we have about 160 staff working for New Zealand rugby, but also working closely with our super clubs and our provincial unions um, to make sure that uh, we had good um, health and safety practices before we went into lockdown and then um, through lockdown. Second most important was preserve cash. Because it was so sudden, most of our revenue was at risk. So as good accountants, we had to work out where our money was going to be coming from, what was the potential for our revenue, and really what were our options. So 
cutting back and zero means zero. We stopped all of our activity um, until we got some certainty. Um, and then the third piece was starting to plan for a rebuild. So when that point came that we could start to get rugby back going, um, even if it was going to be in a closed environment, you know, how do we start to generate revenue again, which means that we can obviously start to reinvest back into the game. What were some of the measures you put in place? Probably the key things for us when you think about um, you know protecting revenue and you know we had forecast to lose about 13 million dollars this year um, because we were still investing a lot of the Lions money from the series in 2017 uh, and our first cut was about a 50 million dollar loss so um, you know that's the quantum of change that we were seeing uh, because we had quite a high fixed cost base and being able to try and turn things off um, at pace was quite difficult. Uh, as part of that, we also undertook a structural review of the organisation and we've just farewelled a number from our organisation. So that's been quite a hard process, but unfortunately necessary in the environment um, that we're in and with the um, challenging uh, reduction in revenue. And then all the competitions, all of our programme costs were cancelled um, until we could look at um, a time where we could start to earn revenue, which we're just moving into that now, um, and then we could stand some things back up. But we haven't stood back up everything. We've only stood up very modest things and only things that generate revenue. So, um, you know, we're still kind of coming back on stream as we start to rebuild, but it'll be um, a while before we can turn everything back on and, you know, maybe we won't ever get back to that same level. We'll do things differently and, you know, maybe that's the opportunity for us coming out of COVID. I know particularly Super Rugby is a Southern Hemisphere competition. How did you coordinate your response with or independently of other organisations and countries? Yeah, so obviously part of SANSA, which is a joint venture with South Africa, Australia and Argentina. Uh, and so first and foremost, we all got our teams back home to our respective countries. Uh, and then we started to look at what the options might be. Um, we just looked at delaying Super Rugby, thinking, oh, well, the world might change reasonably quickly. And I think as time went on, we started to say, well, what's a plan A, but what's plan B, what's plan C? And you know, here we are today. Uh, we've had three rounds of Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, which has been really exciting. Um, we thought we'd be starting them without fans and you know, see the way that New Zealand had responded and how fast we managed to get back um, through the levels. Um, it's been great. And you know, I think most of us can recall game one at Eden Park with over 40,000 fans was pretty exciting. But what we've decided is rather than try and have um, cross-country competitions, a cross-country club competition, uh, we will just play domestically, and you know, which is good for the fans. They do love those local derbies, uh, but also it's the most practical and realistic thing that we can all do. Nikki, you have a broad portfolio. What other roles did you play with the organisation? Uh, well, as part of the exec team, you know, it's all in together, so we all roll up our sleeves and do whatever's needed. Um, if I look at my functional role as CFO, um, definitely daily cash flow management, board uh, engagement um, and thinking about all those different aspects from a people perspective I look after both the respected inclusion and our HR teams so as we've gone through both amending people's contracts but then also through quite a significant structural change you know that's been a really important part of this process and lending a lot of time to support my leaders in that area has been really important. Legal, you know, virtually every contract that we had had some force majeure event clause in it, whether we were receiving or giving, so working through what all that meant, um, and then certainly comms, so lots of stakeholder management. Um, if you think of the media, uh, New Zealand rugby certainly in this country gets a lot of uh, love and attention, and so having to make sure we were ready to respond to all that as well. So my team were flat out, you know, the whole way through, and I suppose I couldn't be proud of the response that they had and, you know, trying to support the organisation. And I think for me, a lot of technical experts who really proved their worth through this environment. 
Nikki, you've certainly had some challenging decisions to make. What do you think were some of the most difficult? Definitely the most difficult are the ones that impact people. I don't think anyone enjoys uh, organisational change. And I think for us, making some of those changes in an environment where other organisations were going through such change, and I think that probably heightened our anxiety. I think logically we all knew we had to do it. We were in a situation we couldn't afford to retain everybody, but the uh, human side of it, and um, you know, certainly for me, uh, we had a Puru Puruaki uh, farewell recently with our team, and you know, very emotional, very raw, um, and you know, that's something that you sort of stays with you for a long time. And I think even for the people who have remained in the organisation, you know, it, it does feel different. And you know, we're going to take some time with our people to be able to rebuild as well because you know, everyone still is hurting a lot. So you have seen some impact on people's confidence, motivation and enthusiasm? People love working for New Zealand Rugby. You know, we have really strong engagement scores because as an organisation, we genuinely do put people at the heart um, of the organisation. But I think when you undertake such change, you know, some of those values people feel have been tested. And so that's, that's a really important role for us now as the new leadership group is how we do rebuild that motivation of people. There's a lot to be done still. There's a rebuild and then a whole transformation program that's coming. And so, you know, that's quite an intense time for us looking forward. And, you know, we want everyone to be engaged and on board, but we've got to also let people grieve first and then also start to, you know, feel the confidence that we have in the organisation. And then I think, you know, people will will, will move and um, support us as well. Mike here again. If you're enjoying this episode of Making It to the Other Side, then why not check out some of our other stories? Listen to my conversations with CAs playing an absolutely crucial role in helping businesses recover from crises. You can subscribe and download Making It to the Other Side from your favourite podcast app. How do you keep your people excited and engaged? How did you create an environment that allows people to bring their best self to work? Certainly for me, when you think about the environment, I mean, we're really lucky. People people join New Zealand Rugby because they're really passionate about what rugby does from an inspiring unify on the field, but also off the field. And a big part of the reason people belong and um, are involved with rugby is the role that rugby plays in our community. So, so that gives us a pretty good head start. It's something we never take for granted, but it's something that you know people are here because they care and they care about the game and they care about our role in our communities but also spending a lot of time just making sure that we keep connecting with people and also sharing the vision. Uh, And as we come out of the rebuild, that's something we really want to make sure that our team are equally excited uh, because, you know, that's what's going to energise us and keep keep the team giving that extra, you know, 120% the whole time. And Nikki, you must have uh, got some better insights into yourself. How do you practice self-care during these busy, stressful times? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. um, Definitely challenging. Um, you're on Zoom from 7 in the morning to I think sometimes you're still going about 11 o'clock at night. It certainly was pretty intense. Good family support's always been, um, you know, when you're in those intensive times, has been, you know, just a huge benefit to me. Um, so very appreciative of my husband and um, my teenage daughters who, who probably have lived through the rugby survival story with me. But from a personal perspective, I think, you know, good sleep, exercise, eat well, all the all the things that we know. And you know, most of the time I was pretty good and you know, certainly where there's some lapses. But no, I think that just that sort of self care is, is really important and you know, it's all part of your mental wellness and, and that resilience. And so, you know, that is really important, particularly at these times when there's a lot of uncertainty. 
and that strong connection with family was uh, one of the things you definitely helped you through? Yeah, it's interesting because where I struggle probably more is the remoteness from my wider family. Um, and although I, I live in Wellington, remote from them, you just felt removed. And I don't know why, uh, maybe because it was so busy as well, but making sure that you keep connected with, you know, your support networks, your friends, really, really important. And I suppose you probably lost some of that physical connection. And so making sure you, you know, look for ways to do that um, from a digital, virtual or, um, you know, some other mechanisms was, was also important. And as we turn our thoughts to recovery, where is New Zealand rugby now? And in the wider New Zealand rugby, not just super rugby, Aotearoa? So we certainly see ourselves in the rebuild. Um, you know, we're really lucky. New Zealand's still the first country to have rugby back up and playing. Fans are loving it. Um, pretty close games, uh, as you know, Mike. So, um, you know, that's all really exciting. But we are also excited that we've got the Mighty Ten Cup, our national provincial men's competition, and the Farah Palmer Cup, our women's domestic uh, provincial competition coming up soon. We've announced a north-south all-black, I suppose it's like a trial, but a north-south match uh, for the uh, wider squads and then um, hopeful that we'll get to play uh, Australia uh, and also our SANS, our partners, South Africa and Argentina as we move towards the end of the year. How different do things look now than in, say, March this year? A, A lot different and probably both at the professional level and at the community level. So at community rugby, um, we're about 70% of our participation rates at the moment. Um, really appreciative of all the volunteers at the building blocks of uh, our organisation. The professional level looks a little different. Obviously, we have two sevens teams who are desperate to go to the Olympics and um, and do well for New Zealand. So they've got to wait 12 months, hopefully. Um, they'll get an opportunity next July. So that's still a big focus for us. We're really excited. We've got the Rugby World Cup. 21 uh, for the women's team so that's still something we're planning um, and working with all of our partners to make sure that we can deliver an event that we think could supercharge the women's game really exciting and then you know the All Blacks a little bit of uncertainty of who will play but you know they'll play whoever we can and so that's you know also um, good news they've been really supportive the team are ready to go as soon as we can find someone um, that we can either get here or we can get to. So the big focus for us is as we go into 2021, uh, we want to rebuild the game better. We want to build in a way that's much more sustainable and we've got to look at both income opportunities but also the way that we deliver the game and find ways to do that smarter um, to be able to invest more back into the things that are really important to our participants who really are critical and also things that matter to our fans. And along the way, you would have learned something about yourself and others that you're going to take with you for the future? Yeah, you definitely learn a lot. And you know, I, I think in a few years' time, there'll be sort of textbook you know, classes run about you know, which organisations survived and did well through COVID. And, and for me, certainly from a people perspective, you know, that was really tough. While you might think of yourself as a good people leader, trying to make sure and, and trying to deliver some of the challenging conversations we've had with empathy is, you know, is something that I've probably tried to work really hard on through this time how we build the organisation to elevate the role of women uh, in our organisation as we've had a big focus around gender equity uh, over the last few years. So again, you know, that's something as we think about a rebuild, the role of Māori and Pacifica in rugby, uh, well represented on the field, uh, but not off the field. So we're lot, we've been really thoughtful about some of these things. So you know, I look at what my role can be in um, trying to champion a greater, more inclusive environment across rugby. So that's probably a big focus for me. From a stimulation perspective, you know, the challenge, uh, if I sort of take the human side out of it, the challenge of 
trying to manage, look for options, create new ideas, be innovative about generating revenue to help us fund and support the costs that we had. You know, that was really quite fascinating, stimulating, hard work, um, really intense. But you do look back now and go, wow, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about this organisation. I learned a lot about people in it, but also I learned a lot about myself. So you've seen some really positive shifts in attitude and behaviours. Can you comment on those? I think COVID's probably taught us, um, and I think of myself and my own reflections as well, it's almost taken us back to remembering what are the things that are really important. And so that's been one of the nice things of COVID as well. And you know, we're also conscious as we're coming, coming back um, to sort of return to normal. Uh, what does the next normal look like? And so from a behaviours perspective it's that you know we've built a huge amount of trust with our people working remotely um, you know flexible working just becoming a thing that's accepted as opposed to wasn't you know I think it was allowed but probably was more of an exception so those are the sorts of things that I think have been really positive uh, and what we've also seen from an attitudes perspective is you know what's the important things that we need to be working on how do we all come together uh, to achieve the things that are really important to the organisation and, and I think people have left behind their own um, I suppose siloed approach uh, that we get sometimes and also just come together to say what's the most important thing to make the boat go faster and to get rugby back into our communities and you know and um, in the professional space too. Nikki as we come out of the COVID response what do you think the other side will look like for sports in New Zealand? What's really exciting is the investment from the Ministry of Sport. $264 million into sport in New Zealand is a massive amount of money. It's, it's the highest amount of money that's ever been invested in and the mandate that they have is to build it better, uh, build it different and build it better. And I think from our perspective, being the largest sport, certainly from a you know, revenue perspective, you know, we've also got a role to play in that. For us to inspire and unify through rugby is a pretty important mandate for all of us as part of our vision. And hopefully if we see some of the changes that we want to do both right down at a club and community level, we think that will really help us the communities we operate in but also create something that will be amazing legacy for our sport but also um, to help New Zealand as we look at the rebuild as well. What was the first sign that gave you confidence we were going to make it to the other side? Week one of Super Rugby Aotearoa was a pretty good sign but what I look back on over that weekend was all the fans and the kids who ran onto the field after that game and it kind of took us back to rugby you know 20 years ago um, and that real buzz and that family um, and that community feel. And so for me, it wasn't just the game, it wasn't the fans, but it was actually those moments after the game that sort of said, look, this is something really special. And, you know, we missed it and it's great to have it back. God, I think that one of the best bitty answers we've had all day. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. Oh, it's been fantastic all the way through. Thank you very much for your time, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be here. Interesting times indeed for New Zealand rugby. What really struck me in my conversation with Nikki was just how positive and focused she was on turning the challenges of COVID-19 into opportunities for New Zealand rugby. She has an ambitious goal to build the game better and work in smarter and more sustainable ways. As a staunch Hurricanes supporter, I support her all the way. Anything that makes a game better for the players and the spectators and ensures the Hurricanes win more has my vote. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Making It to the Other Side. Until next time.